Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there, Radio Land. Sometimes I crack myself up. <laughs> I'm Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. I'm sorry. Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg at thecaregiverspace.org. Say hello, Adrian. Hello. See, she's really there. Also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26, count them, 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and the list goes on and on and on. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on the top 50 on Player FM. And number two, Caregiver Podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60. And number two on CaringVillage.com. What do they say? Number two tries harder. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Don't we, Adrian? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Candice Delacona. Did I say that right? You did. That was perfect. Are you Italian? My husband is Italian, yes. Your husband is Italian. Okay, well, that makes you Italian also. It does. When you get married, you marry the whole family. (laughs) Absolutely true. Anyway, Candace has been an elder care attorney for the last 20 years. Her practice is concentrated in elder law, tax planning, trusts, estates, advocacy, including public benefit law, public benefits law. And she also has a keen interest in nonprofit law and social justice issues. Good for you. And, uh, but before we get started, I do want to thank my last week's guest, Dr. Mitra Mitada. I got to say that right. Ray, talking about why it's important for caregivers to have self-confidence. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one on my membership website, caregiverdave.com or any of, any of the other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Candice, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me, Dave and Adrian. Oh, it's our pleasure. I always like to ask my guests, who is Candice Delacona, and why was she placed on this earth? <laughs> I love that question. Um, so I am, as you say, an elder care attorney and have been for about 20 years now. I can't believe it when I say it out loud. Uh, I'm also a mother. I'm an advocate. I myself was a caregiver for a number of years as well. Um, so this is sort of what makes me tick. It's nice to be able to practice law and actually do some good simultaneously and, uh, elder law and, and the related fields, uh, are where you can actually help people while simultaneously, uh, practicing law, which I think is a little unusual. It's a great field for advocacy. So I think that is a pretty good summary. Well, I'm proud of you. You give attorneys a good name. I wish there were more of you. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's a nice compliment. I don't hear that often about lawyers, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah, but you hear a lot of lawyer jokes, right? Absolutely. And most of them (laughs) (laughs) well-deserved. Well, I'm sure you don't deserve them. Um, 
Anyway, let's start with um, how caregivers can recognize the signs of predatory behavior in those who might have contact with their elderly infirmed loved ones. I remember uh, when we first met, um, I wasn't sure what angle you were coming at this with because, you know, there's a lot of talk about caregivers abusing their loved ones. And I thought that's what the show is about. And I was saying, you know, our caregivers don't do that. And it's so rare, you know, but you hear about it so much. It's like when gas stations raise the prices, because I own a gas station. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> thinks that we're the culprit. We're raising the prices. We're making millions, but it's not us. It's those evil oil companies, you know. Anyway, uh, so go ahead and answer the question. Yeah, so, you know, that's a, it's, it's a really good question. And I think that, um, you know, your initial knee-jerk reaction um, is one that many caregivers themselves have, because, of course, most caregivers are compassionate they, they're kind, they love their, their either the senior or their infirmed loved one, and they do everything that they can to make that person's life better. Um, they try to help them feel empowered and supported and protected. Unfortunately, though, I think by nature of, of either being a senior or a disabled person, I think that those folks are more vulnerable than the average person in terms of exposure to people who would otherwise have some malintent. There are a number of different types of abuse. It's not just physical abuse. And the predatory behavior that I'm seeing quite a bit of, um, and really where it's almost become sadly a niche in my practice is financial abuse as it relates to people who are more vulnerable. And in my practice, what we're seeing is financial abuse from all sorts of people in, in the elderly person's life or the infirmed person's life. Um, so the signs of predatory behavior, as you mentioned, not necessarily for the predator himself or herself, it's more what to look out for, for your elderly or vulnerable loved one. And what their behavior could possibly be a sign that perhaps someone is taking advantage of them in some way. Um, those signs can be varied depending on the person. You can see, particularly with emotional abuse and financial abuse, a change in behavior of your loved one, whether it's withdrawal from social situations or depression and anxiety in ways that you hadn't perhaps seen before in that person. Mm -hmm. um, it could also be, you know, telltale signs of financial abuse, simply unexplained financial transactions, large sums of money that have gone missing, credit card bills with charges that have no relation to the person who owns the credit card. So those are just a few signs that loved ones, including other caregivers. So for example, you may be a caregiver for your loved one, but you also may have help from someone else who is providing care to that person, right. whether it's a hired professional or another family member. Right. Or you find them on Craigslist. You know, a lot of times the caregiver needs a break. So they're looking for anyone to come and watch their loved one. And, you know, it, you really have to vet these people. Uh, I had a personal friend who um, had a husband who had a stroke and they discovered that the caregiver that they hired was abusing them, you know, by 
grabbing their arm, you know, bruising their arm, pushing them around, stuff like that. That's where nanny cams can be really helpful and stuff. Um, I've got so many emails and texts now from scammers. Oh, yeah. And I know how to take care of them, you know, and they're very clever. They'll say, you know, uh, this is from Amazon and um, we're just verifying that the nine hundred dollar uh weight set that you bought uh, is okay um if you did not order this click this link here you know and i look at the link and it has nothing to do with amazon you know and other things talking about your bank accounts you know can you verify that somebody wants to cash a check for six hundred dollars from your checking account you know just clever little things that that an elderly person would just fall for Yes. And so it's very dangerous for children to be on the internet because of porn and elderly people to be on the internet because of scams. So is yeah. it, is it best to just tell them stay off the internet? <laughs> no, that's a really, that, I think that that's a really, a really good question and a very good point. I mean, I think that there is no way to totally prevent someone from falling victim to a scam. Sometimes they'll knock on the door. Yeah. too, Or predatory behavior. I will say that this just, the statistics related to who's doing the abusing, particularly as it, as it relates to financial explo- exploitation, it's generally a family member or a loved one, a person of, of trust within that person's life. Now, it doesn't have to be a blood relation. It can be a very close friend who is Distant a neighbor. cousin, yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, it does sort of venture into uncomfortable territory uh, when one starts asking questions about what has transpired, um, both for the person asking the question and also for the person, the infirmed or the elderly person, because it symbolizes a number of things, right? A, that they're not capable of advocating for themselves or that they are, are unaware that something is happening around them. So the way in which you approach the person to say, let's make sure that X, Y, or Z isn't happening is almost as important as what's happening um, to make sure that the person can maintain her dignity uh, while having these very difficult conversations about perhaps predatory behavior. Yeah, that's why I like the audio and video uh, cams, you know, the cameras all around the house in each room. You could have up to six or eight or however many you want, depending on how big your house is. That way you've got evidence and you're not making false accusations because it's terrible to make a false accusation because uh, if the person is innocent, they're going to be offended. They'll probably just quit, you know, instead of try to give you an an honest answer and say, I can't believe they would accuse me of that. I'm not going to stay here. I mean, that's a very good point. I'll tell you too, uh, you know, I have a number of cautionary tales having been in practice in New York City for so long with so many different people and, and different sort of networks, whether family members or friends. Um, and one comes to mind where you mentioned, um, and it was a woman who had sort of borderline cognitive issues. She was diagnosed with a memory impairment issue, uh, certainly had orientation as to time, place, and manner, meaning she knew who she was, she knew who she loved, um, she knew generally what day it was, um, but she was a very talented dancer. And she was preyed upon by a dance instructor who kept sort of feeding her this line of a sob story about being out of money and really needing to make the mortgage and their business was failing. And so they preyed upon her good nature and kindness 
And I think that what's really important to bring up here, Dave, is it's not always a text from Amazon saying, you know, send us your bank account number. It's much more sophisticated. And in many ways, it can be much more subtle uh, than those types of scams, which, of course, makes it even harder to catch and to stop. Mm. Um, Frequently, the person will be someone who's earned your trust. Let's say you have a trainer. I have a friend who had a trainer who ended up trying to take advantage of her. And she just, you know, six months went by. She was training with him twice a week. All of a sudden, he was in money trouble and he needed her money. So she was smart enough not to do anything about it. But it is this issue of gaining their trust. And then especially dementia, uh, Alzheimer's patients who have not yet you know, um, their loved ones haven't yet, you know, disconnected them from stuff. They're still in that limbo stage. And sometimes they stay in that limbo stage for a long time because doctors are hesitant to uh, confirm a diagnosis. Um, Parents or whoever, you know, the children are hesitant to make those difficult decisions of taking away the car keys or confronting them. You know, I think you might have dementia. Uh, You know, there's a lot of denial going on uh, for both parties. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, in in bringing up the the folks who are sort of in this in-between, this purgatory, right, where there is a level of understanding and then there are some real deficits. Um, And I think it's very much important, and I refer a lot of my clients to geriatric care managers and geriatric psychologists that can help not only the senior or the infirmed person herself, but also the family, the way in which they bring up these conversations um, so that everything can be discussed in such a way that is the least painful and the least embarrassing, um, and in a way that perhaps the senior can also feel more empowered about what decisions should be made. So what's um, Go ahead, I, I have a question. Um, what should caregivers look out for when they are in a position of having to put someone into a senior residence? Um, yeah. So, you know, there are varying types of senior residences. There are independent livings, there are assisted livings, and there are, of course, long-term care facilities, more commonly known as nursing homes in New York. I think the best place to start is for that caregiver or that loved one to actually go to the facility and take a tour. And the reason why that's so important is- Unannounced? Well, you know, it's interesting. (laughs) You used to be able to make an unannounced visit all the time in New York. The COVID protocols have made it a little trickier Uh, for obvious reasons, for the safety of the residents in the facility. But yeah, Dave, if possible, it makes sense for the visit to be unannounced so that you can actually get a good sense of what the community feeling is, um, how clean the facility is, how the employees speak to the residents. You know, the other place to look, you know, Adrian and I are in New York City. So New York State actually has a rating system through the New York State Department of Health that can provide you statistics about infractions 
uh, and violations that may have been made by the facilities themselves. Are they uh, required to post that rating on the front door where everyone can see it like they do at retail (laughs) establishments, food establishments? Sadly, they aren't, but that's actually a great idea, Dave. We should float that before the New York State Assembly. I think so. (laughs) All right, do that for me. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say, too, you know, what I say to families um, you know, all things being equal, a facility is a facility. I mean, certainly some of them have more bells and whistles and, and look a little prettier and have a few more amenities. But what I tell family members, aside from cleanliness and, and sort of obvious signs, is proximity. And the reason why proximity is so important is because the loved one who is visited definitely receives better care. That's true. Very true. Definitely. And and I like to talk to some of the residents as well. I said, hey, how do you like staying here? You know, definitely. Say, ah, the food stinks or whatever. <laughs> they'll, they'll tell you the truth. <laughs> they will tell you the truth. Yes. Yeah. Or they only beat me on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> so um, how can caregivers advocate for the elderly and infirm ones? I mean, what's your strategy? How do we how do we solve this problem or mitigate this problem? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are a number of ways. First and foremost, before someone loses the capacity to make a decision for themselves, I think it's really important to have the basic documents in place. And really what I'm talking about, forget even trusts for now. I'm talking about advanced directives, which are documents that allow you to choose others to speak for you, whether it's in a healthcare setting or with respect to your finances under a power of attorney. I think that a lot of people, particularly in America, think that death is optional and no one is ever going to get sick or require care. And I think that having these documents in place for many people is a scary exercise. No one wants to talk about death, dying and disability. I try to sort of flip the switch and flip the script and talk about it in such a way that it's empowering because you get to choose who speaks for you. Yep. You can choose the right person and your plan of care, who you'd like to take care of you, the way in which you wish to live, the heroic measures that will be taken or not for your long-term care, um, and the location of where you're going to age, whether you're going to age in place in your own home or if you're going to move to a facility like Adrian mentioned. So having these documents in place, they're so simple to obtain. Powers of attorney, uh, healthcare proxies, and living wills in New York are, are quite uh, you know, straightforward. The healthcare documents don't even require a notary. Yeah. And, you know, no, so- I, was, I was filling one out for my aunt who's just starting to get dementia. And, um, you know, I had, to, I had to tread very delicately on this about well, why, why, are you, why are we doing this? You know, and I says, well, just in case something happens to you and, you know, you, you're unconscious or you're in a coma or something, uh, what do you want to have happen to you? You know, do you want them to keep you alive? Like that famous case where, you know, they're in court saying, should we pull the plug? Should we not pull the plug? You know, and just be... Uh, basically brain dead, but the body's still alive. And so I, the way I explained it that way, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't want that. And I says, okay. And I just started filling it out. And, you know, if she gets tired, I'll, I'll go back to it the next day, you know, 
the point is get it done and get it done however you have to get it done. Agreed. And have those conversations. They're important conversations to have. Um, I can't tell you how many times uh, children have called me adult children and they know that they're the healthcare proxy and they ask me questions like, did my mom or dad talk to you about the type of care that they wanted? Um, you know, and you always hope that mom or dad have that conversation with your, right. Um, so it is really important to have those conversations and having a document in front of you is a good sort of kicking off point to pen in your hand. Yeah. To start that discussion. And, you know, the other thing is, is that your ideas about living and dying change as you age. Right. And I had a a client many years ago. She's still my client. I met her probably 18 years ago and her husband had Parkinson's. She was an excellent caregiver and advocate for her husband. And as he, he aged and his condition progressed, they became homebound in their apartment here in Midtown. And she said to me, if you told me 20 years ago that a great night for me was ordering our favorite Thai takeout and watching a documentary on Netflix, I would have told you you were crazy, <laughs> but it sounds like the perfect Saturday night today. <laughs> so it is true that you can have these evolving discussions with people about quality of life and your expectations for what a good life is can evolve. You know, there are complicated dynamics of protecting elderly and infirmed loved ones while remaining respectful of their autonomy. Um, Talk about some of the uncomfortable, difficult things like um, maybe doing it in the presence of a trusted family doctor, you know, because sometimes parents don't really trust their kids, (laughs) whatever their relationship has been in the past, or they think you just want my money or you, you want me to, you know, Mm -hmm. croak so you can get my inheritance. And there's a lot of mistrust there. even if it's misplaced, you know? I think you're right. I think that in every family relationship, everyone plays a role. (laughs) And oftentimes it's really hard for parents to see their children um, as their caregivers for a number of reasons. Mm. There are spouses to those children. And so sometimes (laughs) the relationship can become more difficult or more complicated. Sometimes geography plays a role in that as well. Um, where some physical distance, it's, it's hard to have those really meaningful conversations when your visits are so short. But Dave, having a third party is a great suggestion, whether it's the physician that mom or dad or the loved one really trusts. Um, but having that neutral third party, sometimes I find myself uh, in that position of being the neutral third party because I'm not celebrating Thanksgiving dinner afterwards. I can ask the really hard questions in such a way that is, you know, probably not offensive, um, not accusatory, and there's none of the family baggage that goes along with it. And I think that having that neutral person can sort of foster the conversation that maybe is really difficult to begin. And once the conversation happens, it can get easier and easier. Yeah. Now, you're the attorney, you're the person we come to to get the legal documents we need, sometimes the power of attorney, healthcare directives, guardian process. Um, my sister is taking care of my aunt's finances and I'm taking care of her healthcare. And so she trusts both of us, but you know, I never want my sister to be in a position of being accused of you know, doing something uh, 
unscrupulous with her finances and she never would, but you never know. People are so quick to accuse. And so I always tell her, you know, be open and honest about, you know, what you're doing and, and, uh, and this and that, but it's difficult when they have dementia because they can't understand too much. So telling them too much is overload. So there's a balance and she's not sure she wants a power of attorney because she thinks that there's liability that comes along with that. For example, when my mother died, um, they wanted uh, and they overpaid her the very last uh, month of her social security because there was like 12 hours that she missed the deadline. And she says, I'm not going to pay that back. You know, 12 hours. Come on. Uh, We need this money. She's in debt. And so they wanted to know if she had a power of attorney, because if they did, they can legally sue her. And so that's left a, a sour taste in her mouth to never have a power of attorney for an elderly person. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think a power of attorney is absolutely necessary. Um, while your sister is right to be concerned and certainly should proceed with caution and exercise a lot of good judgment, when you are a power of attorney for someone, you're called the agent. The agent becomes a fiduciary of the principal, the person appointing you. They have an obligation to do what's in the best interest of the principal. Uh, to, they have a duty to record keep and to ensure that they're properly paying bills Um, and not benefiting themselves in any way, unless the power of attorney allows for that. And that in New York can happen under this gifting provision that we allow. Um, But you're right, Dave, there is some exposure there. What I generally tell my clients' children, for example, or the agents is you have to do the right thing. You have to use good judgment. You have the ability to employ experts if you need. So if there are tax questions or legal questions, as a POA, you don't have to be a jack-of-all-trades and know it all. You have the authority to hire experts to help you. Yes. Well, she's not the power of attorney right now, and it doesn't look like she wants, she's in any hurry to do it. What, where, where would you say you absolutely have to do it, and where would you say you get away with not doing it? You know, in, in my opinion, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, <laughs> I don't think you can get away with not doing it, because you know what the alternative is, Dave? If your aunt further loses capacity and she's unable to pay her own bills and ensure that all of her financial needs are met independently and documentation is not in place, then the family would have to petition the court for guardianship. Hmm. Guardianship is an incredibly difficult litigation procedure. It is expensive. It is demoralizing. It is stressful. It literally in New York is bringing someone to court and saying, we don't think you have capacity and asking a judge who's never met someone like your aunt to basically make the decision and make the determination for your aunt and appoint the person that he or she thinks would be a a good guardian, including the fact the judge may not pick you or your sister. The judge could pick a lawyer off of a list to be the guardian. So I, you know, not that, Fear is a great motivator because I don't don't think that it is. But I do think that that's why I try to flip the conversation and have my client feel empowered that she is making the decision about who she trusts enough to be the power of attorney or to be the healthcare agent and not have a stranger make the decision at a later date. But she did the same thing for my mother. She wasn't the power of attorney. And right up to the day she died, you know, and she had dementia pretty badly. Um, I didn't 
I didn't see that she had any problems with that. No, you know, what, what are the problems of not being a power of attorney? And I know you're advocating it very strongly. I'm just trying to give her some logical, because she's going to say, well, I did it with mom and there was no problem. So what's the problem? You know? Well, I would say this. I would say if no one has access to your aunt's finances, how will her bills be paid if you well, don't have she, that? She is doing it. She put her name on the bank account. And she, uh, you know, introduced herself to the uh, people at the bank. They know her. They okay. know she's the caregiver. So, right. I mean, she's, she's established the relationship. She has control of the bank account. The bills are coming to her house. She's paying the bills. And right. she has Joni, you know, sign the checks. If, if they're by checks, hardly any of it, it is. It's all debit now and, and pay online. So kind of that's what she's been doing, you know. Yeah. So let's say, for example, your sister has to apply for Medicaid on behalf of your aunt. She can't do that without legal documentation. Yeah. If she has to call a creditor of your aunt and negotiate a claim or a bill that's, that must be paid or is apparently owed. She can't do that without official documentation. If she has to contact the Social Security Administration for any reason at all, she can't do that without a power of attorney. So there are so many roadblocks without having the proper documentation, particularly well, for finance. As long as the loved one can sign their name, right? There's no need for it because as far as, uh, and I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here because yeah. I'm sure there are you many people know. in the same position, you know? You never know when that day is going to... You never know when that day. So she's, she's <laughs> rolling the dice. She's gambling. Uh, and I would say this too, Dave, not only do you not know... But are you really comfortable having someone sign their name if they don't have the capacity to understand what they're signing? That's where you can get into some territory that's pretty Pretty tricky if a a third party is looking in um, to say, why did you have our aunt sign that life insurance policy to cash it in? Your sister's answer may be, well, we needed the funds to pay for a caregiver. Um, But the third party might say, yeah, but she was well into her dementia diagnosis when she signed, did she really understand what she was signing? So having the power of attorney in place is the person that your aunt is choosing to entrust with that. So if it ever came to that point, it doesn't matter whether she understands or not. Your sister has the official capacity under the document to sign. I see. You're also in the position where you and your sister are getting along and doing this cooperatively versus adversarial siblings Sure. Or many siblings in different states, you know, where there's a primary caregiver and then all of a sudden everybody descends on the estate. Sure. The person needs to protect themselves from what are they what are what they don't want to happen. Yeah. You know? Great point, Grand. Got it. So we're almost out of time. So what uh, what didn't we cover yet that you would like to make sure? Uh, well, especially you know, how we got contact you. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, you know, one of the things that I just want to mention is that elder abuse and abuse of those who are more vulnerable goes largely unreported. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that, of course, is, you know, actually there are m- multiple reasons. I want to encourage people that if they are afraid that their loved one has fallen victim to any sort of scam, whether it's at the hands of another loved one, a spouse, an adult child, a trusted neighbor or caregiver, 
there are so many agencies um, in every state that can assist you. Um, the local offices on aging, adult protective services. In fact, many district attorney's offices now even have elder abuse units yes. uh, for our elderly people and disabled people to ensure that they are protected. So I really do think it's important that you should advocate for your loved one. And if you see something that is amiss, don't be afraid to speak up and speak out on behalf of that person and advocate for them. Absolutely. All you have to do to start with is call social, any social services and they'll direct you to the other places that you can go for help. In New York City, we have 311 and yeah. they can connect you with a number of nonprofits yep. to assist you with the next step. And if they have a legal question, uh, do you want to answer their questions? Uh, can they of course. Their phone number, <laughs> I, your phone number? I welcome that. Absolutely. <clears throat> So oh, my an attorney who's willing to give free advice. Imagine that, Adrian. Well, <laughs> elder care attorneys, it's, it's part of the job. Uh, so you can call me directly at my mm. firm. I can give you the number. It's 929-476-0051. Or, of course, you can email me. Uh, my email is my name, which is Candace Delacona on the bottom of the screen at Optic Perman. Com, which is the name of my law firm here in New York. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and just a reminder to everybody that this show is a recorded podcast and you can listen to it on all those platforms I mentioned or caregiverdave.com. Caregiverdave.com is a free membership support community with lots of tools and resources, free gifts, as well as my Facebook page with the same name. Um, Adrian is at thecaregiverspace.org and her Facebook page has the same name and she has lots of forums and chat rooms uh, and you'll really, really enjoy that as well. Um, and I'm, I'm starting my own journal, a daily column. Uh, on the Facebook page? It'll be, part of it'll be on the Facebook page with the link to the site. Great. Yeah. And if you're, well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. And uh, for those of you who are watching this, click the like button. It helps uh, Google give us better algorithms to help and reach more caregivers. And don't forget my new book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is coming out on Cinco de Mayo, two days from today. Please order yeah. yours. Two days, we're there. Yeah. And uh, it's a great book about wisdom I've been writing for the last 50 years. So thank you all <laughs> to my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same channel. Bye-bye. Thank you. Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, 
My wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke and it left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I gotta tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just didn't know what to do. I felt guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experienced. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day life is going to call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.